Let us pray. From the written word to the spoken word, may it become for us the living word and further the work of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I want you to do some thinking. What is the most important thing in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? Then, what is the most valuable thing in your life? We shall think a little bit more about things that are important and valuable as we look at our gospel lesson today. We're learning here about Mary in that gospel lesson that Chris read for us. And for her, the most important thing is knowing God through Jesus, his son, and giving her best to him. And when we get our devotion right, then the lesson is a life of generous Christian service overflows from that. Let me just uh, uh, put you in the setting of the passage, because this uh, passage occurs in different Gospels. Uh, It's a dinner party, basically, that's taking place in Bethany. Mark's Gospel tells us that it was actually at the home of Simon the leper, though that's not actually mentioned in John. Now, you'd not normally eat uh, with a leper, (laughs) uh, unless the leper had been healed, otherwise it could give a new meaning at the table when someone says, could you pass me something? Um, So it's not uh, a leper who's still got leprosy, it's somebody who's been healed. And at that home of Simon, we know that he was thankful to Jesus for all that Jesus had done, and that healing had taken place in that home where they were eating. We know from John's gospel that Bethany was the place also where Lazarus lived. Remember the story of Lazarus? Uh, We can go back a bit in John's gospel if you want to read it when you get home. Lazarus was dead in the tomb, but now he was alive. Again, thanks to Jesus. The name Lazarus uh, is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Eliza, and it actually means God is my help. I found that very interesting this week as we learned from the Dean of Windsor that Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, had as his motto, God is my help. Well, Lazarus and Jesus had become local celebrities. Why was that? Well, (laughs) One had been dead and was alive again, and the other one was responsible for that. And of course, you can imagine the hubbub that was going around. And that upset the Jewish leaders. So much so, in John 11, verse 57, we read, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. In fact, in John 12, 10, we read that the chief priests wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. What stories, therefore, must have been told in this room where they gathered for a meal? 
Lazarus, thankful to Jesus and, and telling him about that whole experience, you know, somebody who's died and come to life again. And other stories must have been told as they met together, and there must have been such conversation going on when suddenly, uh, well, Martha actually was outside, true to character. She was uh, busy serving, making sure that everything happened right for her brother and Lazarus and the other guests. But let's look what happens next. Mary, Martha's sister, takes center stage in the story. If you like, she gate crashes a room full of men, which would have been an unexpected thing to do. But then, out of thanksgiving and in humility, she brings her offering to Jesus. Now, from Mark, we learn a bit more about what it was. It was an alabaster jar that had this expensive perfume in it, and she breaks it open. And it contained what is known as exotic spikenard perfume. Uh, it would have come from the Himalayas in India, imported, and it was extremely valuable. In fact, that little pot was worth a typical year's wages. Let's put that in our terms. I, I looked it up on the internet. Apparently, the average income in the UK is £25,000. So she poured out £25,000 on Jesus' feet. In Mark and Matthew, it was poured out over Jesus' head. But here in John, it was over the feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this was against all the social codes of that time. It was more like the actions of a disreputable woman rather than the follower of a rabbi. Why did she do this? Well, John doesn't exactly tell us, but it appears to be an overwhelming act of love, perhaps sensing the looming danger that Jesus was going to face as he went into Jerusalem. She was preparing him for his death. In those days, bodies would be anointed for burial. And where did they start with the anointing? With the feet. And then they anointed the rest of the body. So here, in a sense, was a, a demonstration, a, a prophetic act. And imagine the fragrance as that perfume was poured out, filling the room. But also the tension that was filling the room at the same time. You see, Judas wasn't happy. He was shocked by Mary's passionate act. He was quick to rebuke her, making out that he had a concern uh, for others with a quite reasonable question, actually. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Very reasonable question. But there's mention in this passage that he was actually a thief, more concerned about keeping the money for himself. Whatever his motivation is, Judas clearly didn't understand what was going on. And you see the beginning of Judas sort of misunderstanding and moving in a different direction, and Mary drawing closer to Jesus. Now, probably deeply moved, the Lord defends Mary. Leave her alone, he replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
Remember, John records this just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we know what was going to happen just after that. And Jesus justifies her actions as well. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me with you. This was a particular time, a significant time. And he wasn't condoning, if you like, the existence uh, of the rich and poor divide. But Mary's action was profoundly prophetic. And Jesus would have known that, and it would have meant so much to him. And he received her generous, loving worship. And we can love Jesus and the poor together, as I'll explain in a moment. Mark and Matthew actually record Jesus as saying, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, Jesus saw Mary's heart in all of this and ensures that her selfless act will be remembered. And John has recorded, Matthew, Luke, uh, it's wonderful, and Mark as well, uh, got different versions of it. But it's a, it's a, to me, it says that everything we have actually belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to Him. But Mary was prepared to give extravagantly of all that she had for the one that she knew and she loved with all of her heart. So I want to go back to that initial question. Are we prepared to give what we most value to the Lord? That doesn't necessarily mean to say that we will part company with it. It might be. But are we prepared to give everything to the Lord if he calls it? It's a hard question. Do we justify sometimes not giving our best to the Lord? Do we sometimes keep things for ourselves and, and not perhaps release everything that maybe we are called to release at a particular time? Do we know Jesus well enough to know what it is he's asking of us? Mary was in tune with Jesus, and at this particular point, her devotion was exactly what Jesus needed. Let's look at John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave. Giving is at the heart of our God. God so loved the world that he gave. And he made it very clear that giving is costly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was costly. Jesus' crucifixion cost God dearly. Cost our Father everything when Jesus went to the cross. And yet there was power in that offering. Something abhorrent, paradoxically, becomes something beautiful in the resurrection. Wonder whether we will receive this Easter, receive today the gift of Jesus' offering for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it's there to be received. And God was doing a new thing to enable salvation and to usher in his kingdom. Uh, our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 43, that Denise read for us, we remember how God saved his people in the past, the parting of the Red Sea. 
he was also going to save them from exile. And there's mention by making a way in the wilderness. But God's people must not be preoccupied all the time with what he's done in the past. We're not to be looking backwards all the time. It says, don't remember the former things because I am about to do a new thing. And when Jesus came, it was the new thing, the new covenant. And we're called to perceive, not simply remember. Mary's action was prophetic because the new thing was going to be anointed by her action. Mary was looking forward, embracing Jesus' death. She was anointing him. He is going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, so that people one day, using the words of Isaiah, may declare the praises of God. So Mary's offering was beyond what many might have thought reasonable, but not for Mary. She was moved by the sheer gratitude for all that Jesus had done. Remember, Lazarus had been given life. She was so grateful for what had happened to her brother. I wonder whether we are prepared to do something beautiful for Jesus because of what he's done for us. What would be the offerings today that would suitably honor him? If we're to serve Jesus today, we do it by serving the needs of others. As we bless others, we bless the Lord himself. And you know, I find this really significant. I leave it with you to ponder. But I wonder whether what Mary did when she washed his feet with her hair inspired Jesus not long after that to wash his disciples' feet. Just think about that. Could it be her extravagant love was something that actually captured Jesus' imagination? Is it so strange, therefore, that he said, a new commandment when he was talking about washing the feet, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Every time Mary's mentioned, it seems to be feet are involved. Uh, when we look at Mary uh, sitting at Jesus' feet to hear his word, you remember the story of Martha and Mary, Luke 10, it was at his feet. She knelt at his feet in sorrow over the death of her brother Lazarus. At this time, out of thanksgiving and humility, she brings her offering and pours it on his feet. Maybe that's where we should be today. On our knees, at the feet of our Lord. And maybe as we wash other people's feet symbolically with our offerings of extravagant love, that's when we're the closest to him. Her gift had an effect, Mary's, on everyone who was in presence there. It says that the room filled the whole place, not just the, the perfume filled the whole place, not just that room. Everyone was affected 
by the fragrance of her offering. I wonder whether when we pour out our love gifts of service, whether it's an aroma that has an effect wider than we could possibly ever imagine. An aroma that will overflow, an inviting aroma. An aroma which also brings calm and peace. Will our acts of love, our extravagant acts of love, poured out in service of others, which is where we can be close to our Lord, will they be something that changes the environment that we're in? So like Mary's alabaster jar, may we be found broken, poured out in love for others in the presence of our Lord. And I pray that the fragrance of extravagant love will lead people from despair to hope, from death to life, and all through Jesus who gave his life for us. Amen.